0: We're finishing up a series here this summer in the book of Acts. Earlier this year, we actually looked at the first five chapters. We're now finishing chapters six and seven. And so we've, we've only covered a quarter of the book. But we've seen the mission of the church. We're turning to Acts chapter seven, verse 54. We've seen the church on mission to make the name of Jesus Christ known. Stephen, a man chosen by God for ministry in the church, was seized by the Sanhedrin the religious leaders. He was falsely accused of blasphemy. And we've just heard in our previous weeks the longest speech, the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And the reaction here is immediate and yet violent. Listen to the word of God, Acts chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading at verse 54. And when they heard this, They were furious and gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Let me pray that God would apply his truth into our lives. Father in heaven, we we see the glory of Jesus reflected in the life and ministry, even in the death of Stephen. And so, Lord, I pray that you would let us see this martyr of the faith. Let us see the greatness of Jesus in his ministry. Lord, I pray that you would teach us where we have sinned against others, where we have been wrong, where we have falsely accused those around us. Lord, bring us to the place of repentance. Father, we ask that we would see Jesus Christ and the hope of his resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On February 7th, 1970, a Saturday night, a van of black college students had taken part in a civil rights march, and they were pulled over by highway patrolmen from Brandon, Mississippi. The students were arrested. and So begins an account of the ministry of Pastor John Perkins. Pastor Perkins and two of his associates drove to the jail to post bond for the arrested students. But when they arrived, they were surrounded by five deputy sheriffs and several highway patrolmen who arrested them and began to beat them. Perkins had not been speeding. He did not resist arrest. All he had done was arrive to post bail for students engaged in promoting civil rights. But Pastor Perkins was a leader in the black community therefore he was hated. His story continues, Perkins was beaten most of that night along with some of the others. His accusers stomped on him, kicked him in the head. The violence was brutal. Perkins was unconscious and so mutilated that the students who were watching over him in the cell thought that he would surely die. Perkins survived that night. And God opened the doors for his ministry. But even in the brutal injustice he had suffered, he felt compassion. This is how he described that scene. Pastor Perkins wrote, I remembered their faces, so twisted with hate. It was like looking at white-faced demons. For the first time, I saw what hate had done to them. These policemen were poor. They saw themselves as failures. The only way they knew how to find a sense of worth was by beating us. Their racism made them feel like somebody. When I saw that, I just couldn't hate back. I could only pity them. I said to God that night, God, if you will get me out of this jail alive... And I really didn't think I would. Maybe I was just trying to bargain with God. God, if you get me out of this jail alive, I really want to preach a gospel that will heal my accusers, my tormentors, too. Forgiving those whose hatred explodes in violence, finding hope in the power of the gospel. Stephen, in Acts 7, preaches a gospel that exposes the sin of his accusers. Even in their violence, he extends the hope of forgiveness. We saw it at the end of, of his sermon, at the end of his defense. But it wasn't really a defense to prove his innocence as, or, or to get him off. It was a defense to show his accusers their guilt. And look back with me at verse 51 of Acts chapter 7. We read this together last week. Stephen reaches the the climax of the sermon and says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. And then he points out the fact that in their sin, they, they rejected not only the prophets whom God sent, but they rejected the righteous one, the Son of God. They even killed Jesus. He is calling them to see their sin calling them to repentance, to turn from their path of sin and turn back toward God to ask for forgiveness. And, and you see their reaction. It's what we read this morning, verse 54 of Acts 7. In verse 54 we read that when they heard this, they heard Stephen's accusation against them. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. A, a, a violent response. One commentator says that that. That while Stephen sat in calmness, their passions overwhelmed the accusers. They're furious. And yet, the contrast is clear. They're furious, but Stephen is calm. Look at how verse 55 contrasts the reaction of, of the accusers with Stephen's calmness. Verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, Looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen is given a vision of heaven, a picture as if as if heaven's scrolls, the doors have been have been pushed open so that he can see Jesus in heaven at the right hand of God, that place of great authority. It's a a common expression throughout the scriptures. And yet, the posture of Jesus is surprising here. It's not surprising where Jesus is at the right hand of God, that place of authority in the kingdom of God. But, but, but Stephen says that he sees Jesus standing. Because we expect Jesus to be sitting. If you're familiar with the, the biblical language of the session of Jesus, that he is seated at the right hand of God. And, and as an aside, that's what the word for our gathered group of elders is, a session it just means they're seated. It just means they, their authority comes when they sit together to deliberate. Now, see, I didn't grow up a Presbyterian, and so that word just sounded so strange to me. But the session of Christ seated at the right hand of God and the session of a church trying to deliberate and, and, and rule in Christ's stead. Because we expect Jesus to be seated. We, we expect it because Psalm 110, a psalm that's quoted again and again in the New Testament, tells us that that's what the posture of Jesus in heaven is. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. Why? Because he has finished his work. The book of Hebrews, and you can flip there, it's toward the very back of your Bibles. In Hebrews chapter 10, it it makes this argument. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, we read that in contrast to the Old Testament priests, The priests in the temple that still stood in the time of Stephen, they had to be on their feet all the time because their work was never done. But Jesus' work is finished. In Hebrews 10, verse 11, we read, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest But when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. See, the biblical picture of Jesus in heaven is that his work is finished. Salvation has been fully accomplished. Jesus paid the full price, and so he need not stand awaiting his next priestly duty. His work as the priest is done. And so some would read the words of Stephen here as if Stephen misunderstands his Old Testament, but, but no. I mean, there, there's then this beauty in the image of what, what Stephen sees, that, that Jesus, the one whose work as priest is finished, now stands up as the righteous judge to plead Stephen's case. Stephen will be accused and found guilty, not, not by a, a trial here in Acts chapter 7, but by the mob mentality. But in the courtroom of heaven, Jesus stands, proving the innocence of Stephen. Jesus stands as if to welcome him, welcoming his martyr, his servant, Stephen, into heaven. When when the the knock comes at the door, the, the host rushes to welcome the guest. Jesus stands to welcome Stephen. He pleads Stephen's cause in the heavenly court. See, we struggle as as modern people with a struggle that's been true for all of human history. How can you endure suffering? Or, or or maybe we ask it more philosophically, how can a good God let this kind of terrible thing happen? If Jesus had the kind of power that Stephen thinks that he has, wouldn't wouldn't Jesus have stopped this injustice? See, we're tempted to think that suffering is always pointless, or we fear that the unjust will get away with it, that they won't be held to account. And yet even here, in the vision that Stephen has, in the face of brutal injustice, he sees the heavenly courtroom. He sees the Savior stand, and the Gospel, the story the Bible gives to us, this good news, tells us that our suffering is not pointless. If you've put your trust in Christ, then Jesus will use your suffering for his glory. That's what Stephen sees, the glory of God, the greatness of Jesus. Because Jesus suffered for you. And so Jesus now comforts you. And Jesus will stand on the day of judgment to plead your innocence, Not because in yourself you are innocent, but if you've put your trust in Christ, then your sins have been forgiven. And so here in the the ministry of Stephen, we see a picture of what Christian suffering looks like. Stephen not only sees the vision, but he explains it. Look at verse 56. In verse 56, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He announces what he sees. And, and, and here, Luke is connecting us back to a trial that had taken place before this same Sanhedrin, before the same high priest who stood in judgment, back to the trial of Jesus. You can find it if you flip your Bibles back to the Gospel of Luke. Because while the book of Acts follows in, the, in your Bible, in the order, it follows the book of John, it's really the continuation of the book of Luke. it's, it's It's the ongoing work of Jesus that Luke had told. And so if you flip back with me to Luke 22, we find Jesus at his own trial before this same high priest making the exact same connection that Stephen repeats in Acts 7. That the glory of Jesus will be revealed when the Son of Man comes from heaven. Jesus himself speaking the the Old Testament language of God's chosen one, the Son of Man being sent. Stephen is the only person in the New Testament besides Jesus who uses that phrase. Yes, it's used by John that there's one like a Son of Man coming in the book of Revelation, but Stephen is the only one who directly connects the Son of Man with Jesus. Every other time it's Jesus himself speaking of himself, but but because Luke wants us to make sure we see the connection. Stephen understands the connection. He can suffer because Jesus already has suffered. And so in Luke 22, we read in verse 67, the high priest, the teachers of the law, asked Jesus in Luke twenty-two, sixty-seven, 67, If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. <laughs> they, they all asked him, Are you then the Son of God? Jesus replied, You are right in saying that I am. Then they replied, Why do we need to hear more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Jesus, the Son of God, declares the glory of God in the face of his accusers. And so in Acts 7, that's what Stephen is repeating for us. He is reminding us, perhaps as much as he is being reminded by God of the grace God showed to him in Jesus that Jesus, the Son of Man, promised to return in his glory. And that was the charge which which pushed the, the Sanhedrin to declare that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy and death. And that's the same violent reaction that we have here in the eyes of Stephen's accusers. In their eyes, Stephen's vision, his statement, proves the charge of blasphemy. He thinks he can give us visions from God, He thinks he has direct access to Jesus. See, the charge was that Stephen was setting aside the Old Testament temple, the place of sacrifice. And and in that sense, it's true. Because the the high priest sat down, having finished the work, no more blood sacrifice needs to be brought to the temple. And so when, when they hear this, they, they, they accuse, they, they know that, that the false witnesses we brought forward, we don't even need them anymore. He said it himself. He thinks he can see Jesus in heaven. He thinks Jesus is the Son of God. And so verse 57 tells us their reaction. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. They covered their ears because they can't even listen to it. They they, they think it's blasphemy and they will not tolerate hearing it. And yet, what is he telling them? The very truth of God, the revelation from God. He's repeating the words of Jesus, describing the ministry of Jesus to them. And what did they do? They dragged him out, verse 58, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They took boulders and began to crush his body until he bled and died. They gave unchecked vent to their passions, and yet Stephen saw the vision of God's glory in heaven. This is not a legal execution. There was no judgment even of the court. They didn't even go through the motions that they went through at the trial of Jesus. No, they let their their anger and violence, so that they drag him out of the city and kill him. And yet, at Stephen's death, we see the grace of God. Look at verse 59. While they were stoning him, okay, read. let me read that again. While they took boulders and physically crushed his body with the intent of, of destroying his life, in violence and anger, crushing him. This isn't, this isn't a, a child skipping stones across a lake. This isn't someone throwing, throwing pebbles at a window. This is taking a, a boulder and using it to crush the skull of a human being. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In calmness, he gives his life for Jesus, and he gives his life to Jesus. Again, he's, he's echoing the, the ministry of Jesus on the cross. I mean, as, as a listener to this, as a reader of Luke's story, it's only been a few minutes since you read the end of Luke's gospel, as the scroll was unfurled and you heard it read to you in church. And so the, the connection would be immediate for you. That Jesus on the cross, in Luke Verse 20, Luke 23, verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus gave his life to the Father, and he gave his life for us. And so Stephen, reflecting that pattern, calls out to Jesus. And in that, there's, there's a great Christological claim, a claim about who Jesus is. Jesus gave his life to God in heaven. Stephen gives his life to God in heaven, to Jesus, who is the Lord. I mean, that claim, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, is the recognition that the one who died in his place on the cross is the risen and ascended king, the one who was brought back from the dead and reigns as the Lord of all. And so Stephen gives his life to Jesus. Then verse 60 tells us, He fell on his knees and cried out. The beating has now knocked him down. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin Against them, while they in anger are killing him, he prays for their forgiveness. Calvin tells us, John Calvin, that that the preacher of five hundred years ago, he says, he says, "Look, look, look at his prayer. His prayer gives glory to God. He gives himself fully to God, but in that moment, he also prays for his fellow man. And and Calvin says, shouldn't that mark all of our prayers? Not merely in moments of violence, but, but all the time, giving glory to God and then praying for our fellow man, showing love to God and love for others. Again, the connection to the work of Jesus is obvious. Stephen is essentially repeating the words of his own Savior. Again, the Gospel of Luke, verse... Chapter twenty-three, verse thirty-four. Jesus nailed to a cross, with criminals on his right and on his left. In Luke twenty-three, thirty-four, Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing." Stephen prays, "Lord, do not hold this sin." Against them. We can forgive because we have been forgiven. Jesus, our Savior, died in our place and extended forgiveness to us. And so when we are sinned against, we can pray, like Stephen, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Because you have heard the phrase from your Savior, Father, forgive them. You can ask God, Lord, forgive them. And yet even at the death of Stephen, this crushing moment where violence seems out of control, the warnings earlier in the book of Acts, which became imprisonment, which became beatings, now results in the death of the first Christian for the sake of the gospel. And yet it cannot stop the gospel. The book of Acts shows us the gospel is unstoppable. Not even violence that leads to death can slow down the work of Jesus. Well, first, we we see it in the very obvious foreshadowing that Luke gives to us. He introduces us to a man who will become the the, the center of much of the rest of the book of Acts. You saw it in, in verse 58. Almost an aside. In the midst of the violence, they're dragging, verse 58, they're dragging Stephen out of the city and they begin to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. A man likely in the synagogue where all of this began. A man from Tarsus, trained in the the Old Testament. There, standing, watching what takes place. We're told that That there at the beginning of chapter 8 we're reminded again in case you missed it in case you missed that quick reference to Saul in verse 58 it's repeated just just a few verses later in in the first verse of chapter 8 and Saul was there giving approval to his death you see Stephen is reminding us the gospel cannot be stopped even the violent murderers the ones who hear though these words of forgiveness can be redeemed. Even Saul, who stood at the death of Stephen, giving his approval, can be rescued by God. And, and, and yes, we, we, we know him better by the name that, is, that he's given later in this book. Saul becomes Paul, the great theologian, the great missionary of the church. Stephen is taken, verse 2 of chapter 8, and buried by godly men, men who mourned deeply for him." A quick reminder to us from Luke that the violence of the crowd was not really the right reaction, that there is a sorrow and sadness in the loss of this one who is loved. But, but Luke, as he, as he turns our attention from here in Jerusalem, there will be a massive shift here in the book of Acts. He tells us that the, the violence, the persecution, will serve God's purposes. Look at the second half of verse 1 chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. That's the bad news. That's the headline. Stephen, stoned to death, great persecution breaks out, but, but, but look what, what it says. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. God has taken his church and thrown it like seed to the nations. He has scattered his church by, by these very violent means, but God will use the sin of those who brought violence for His good, by taking the church and scattering it so that it will grow like seed among the nations. Here in Acts eight verse one, we have the fulfillment of or Acts, yeah, Acts eight verse one, we have the fulfillment of Acts one verse eight. When this book began, we were told what was going to take place. We were told that as Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, you, my church, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but in all Judea and Samaria, where the church is now being scattered. You will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth when a man named Saul will take the gospel to the known, even the unknown regions of the world. Forgiveness is here for us when we confess our sins. Forgiveness comes to us through Jesus, our Savior. We can endure persecution, even violence, because of the grace given to us in Jesus Christ. It was the power of Jesus' cross that gave John Perkins the freedom to forgive. It is the hope of the resurrection that keeps him preaching now at age 90. You can go and watch him preach online. As Pastor Perkins was recovering in the hospital after his brutal beating, God gave him the hope of Jesus so that he could preach the gospel. Pastor Perkins writes The Spirit of God worked on me as I lay in that bed. An image formed in my mind the image of a cross, of Jesus Christ on the cross. This Jesus knew what I had suffered. Jesus understood. Jesus cared because he had gone through it all himself. He too was arrested and falsely accused. He too had an unjust trial. He too was beaten. Then he was nailed to a cross and killed like a common criminal. But when he looked at the mob who had crucified him, he didn't hate them. He loved them. And he prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. His enemies hated, but Jesus forgave. Pastor Perkins says, God wouldn't let me escape that. He showed me that however unjustly I had been treated, in my bitterness and hatred, I was just as sinful as those who had beaten me, and I needed forgiveness. This is the conclusion of Stephen's speech. Not that they need forgiveness, but that I need forgiveness. And that lets me extend forgiveness to them. Jesus forgives us if we admit our sins and put our hope in him. Stephen saw the glory of Jesus and endured death for the cause of Christ. He forgave his accusers, his murderers, the Son of Man, Jesus, our Savior, stands in heaven ready to receive those who come to him by faith. Let me pray. Father, we ask that as we come to your word, you would give us the hope of the gospel. Lord, that we who have been forgiven would be be set free to forgive others. Lord, that we would be willing to endure persecution for the sake of your kingdom. That we would be willing to go to great lengths, to travel great distances, to endure great persecution because of the greatness of Jesus. Lord, let us see the glory in heaven of Jesus, our Savior, the one who sat down having forgiven our sins, now standing to receive those who confess their faith. Lord, give us faith even as we come to the table which Christ has prepared for us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.